Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called Called by a New Name. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, January 17th, 2016. At church last Sunday, we celebrated the ancient practice of Christian baptism. The priest poured water on baby William three times, and then he made the sign of the cross on his forehead. And as he did so, he recited those beautiful and powerful words, William, you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit and marked with the cross of Christ. You belong to God. The baptismal party then processed down the center aisle of our church. Leading the way was a person who held high a red banner with the words of Isaiah 43, verse 1, I have called you by name, you are mine. At the end of the group, William's father aspurged the congregation to remind us of our own baptisms. In the outward ritual of baptism, we enact an inward spiritual reality, that every person has a name, and that God knows every name. The oily cross on William's brow will wear off, but not the unconditional promise that he belongs to God. Forever. Full stop. Nothing can ever change that. Although baptism is a ritual of the church, it's also a sign to the world. What's true for William is true for me, for you, and for every person. We belong to God. He knows our names, and he's calling every one of us to himself. The act of naming people, places, and events to signify their essence recurs throughout the Bible. On the very first pages of Genesis, Adam and Eve named the animals. Jacob gave the place where he struggled with God a special name, Peniel. He says, because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Children receive symbolic names like Ichabod, the glory has departed. And Isaiah's son, Shir Hashub, a remnant shall return. Renaming in the Bible carries even greater significance. A new name signifies a new reality. Sarah and the patriarchs received new names. Pharaoh renamed Joseph. Cyrus renamed Daniel and his three comrades. Jesus famously changed Simon's name to Peter. After his conversion, that Hebrew of Hebrews, Saul, assumed his Roman name, Paul, as the apostle to the Gentiles. In our own name, in our own day, when Jorge Mario Bergoglio became the 266th Pope, he took the name Francis, 
in order to signify a radical new direction for the Catholic Church. And what a difference he's made by living into the reality of a new name. And so, at the beginning of this new year, 2016, the Old Testament reading from Isaiah 62 promises us a new name, and with it, the possibility of a new reality. We read, You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah and your land Beulah, for the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. Calling someone by name conveys a shocking sense of intimacy with the divine. It points to our deepest and most fundamental identity as children of God. In his own baptism, Jesus also received a new name. He was beloved by God. Writing in the Huffington Post about the baptism of Jesus, Vicki Flippin of the Church of the Village in New York City says, I tell folks that baptism is the church declaring what has always been true, that each of us belongs to God and only to God. The child is claimed by God above all other claims. Many malignant forces try to name and claim us. Baptism reminds us that first and foremost, above and beyond all other claims, however legitimate or oppressive they might be, we belong to God. He knows and calls us by name. We don't belong to our boss or the bank. We don't belong to an abusive spouse or our addictive impulses. We're not defined by sickness, success, or failure. We don't belong to the political propagandists or the advertising industry. We're not the sum total of our poor choices, our painful memories, or bad dreams. Even though it might feel like, look like, smell like, hurt like you belong to all these other things, says Flippin, as sure as water is wet and God is good, I heard a voice out of the heavens say it at the baptism of Jesus. You belong to God. Our baptism can remind us that no one determines our worth in this world or in the next other than God. God created each one of us. He cares for us, and he calls us by a new name. He says, you are my beloved. For books this week, 
I review a new memoir by Mary Norris. The title of the memoir, Between You and Me, Confessions of a Comma Queen. New York, W.W. W. Norton, 2015. This book is 228 pages. Calling all word nerds. If you are a certified grammar Greek, a lover of language, this me memoir by Mary Norris is a dream come true. Norris worked a number of jobs before she found her true calling. She was a foot checker at a swimming pool, a milk truck driver, a cheese factory worker, a dishwasher, and a cashier. But in 1977, she moved to New York, and in February of 1978, she was hired at the New Yorker magazine for an entry-level position in what was called the Editorial Library. That was more than 35 years ago, she reminisces, and it has now been more than 20 years since I became a page okayer a position that exists only at the New Yorker, where you query proofread pieces and manage them with the editor, the author, a fact-checker, and a second proofreader until they go to press. An editor once called us prose goddesses. Another de job description might be comma queen. I have never seriously considered doing anything else. In a remarkably interesting and funny chapter on pencils, she calls herself a pencil prima donna. Whereas you might expect a snarky book from such a grammar gatekeeper, Norris has written a winsome and whimsical book. She knows her craft, but she also has both, both feet on the ground as a person of uncommon common sense. She knows when it's good and right to fight, or not, over the usage of commas, hyphens, dashes, and apostrophes. Her chapter on gender-inclusive language is a model of clarity, sensitivity to genuine concerns, practicality, and, interestingly, because her brother was transgendered, personal story. She describes the debate on the serial comma to which she is loyal. She clarifies common conundrums, like when to use which or that, who or whom. She tracks down how, when, and where someone put a hyphen in the title of the novel, Moby Dick. It's comforting to learn that even at the New Yorker, despite its official house style, some of these matters are just personal preference. My most personally satisfying takeaway was her wisdom on a usage matter that has bugged me for a long time, the search for a gender-neutral third-person singular pronoun. I'm sure you'll find your own favorites in this wise and witty book. Once again, Mary Norris, the title of her memoir, Between You and Me. For movies this week, we go to the country of Mauritania. The title of the movie, Timbuktu, from the year 2014. 
This drama by director-writer Abdurmani Sisaki of Mauritania shows what happens when jihadists take over the ancient city of Timbuktu in the country of Mali, which in fact actually happened in 2012. Women must wear gloves and socks. Smoking and music will get you a public whipping. One couple is buried up to their necks and stoned to death for adultery. Soccer is prohibited. The movie focuses on a family of herders that lives in the sand dunes on the outskirts of town. They struggle to live according to the ancient ways of their culture while incorporating elements of modern society like mobile phones and resisting religious extremism. This film was nominated for Best Foreign Language Film for the 2015 Oscars. It won two awards at the Cannes Film Festival and has a whopping 98% rating on the tomato meter. The film, interestingly enough, is in French, Arabic, Bambara, Tuareg, English, and Songhe. Which polyglot mashup indicates the cultural clashes at play? The title of the movie, Timbuktu. For poetry this week, in anticipation of Martin Luther King Day, we've posted a poem by Langston Hughes. Langston Hughes lived from 1902 to 1967. He was an African-American poet, novelist, playwright, and newspaper columnist. This short poem by Langston Hughes is called Dreams. Hold fast to dreams, for if dreams die, life is a broken-winged bird that cannot fly. Hold fast to dreams, for when dreams go, life is a barren field frozen with snow. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net. For Sunday, January 17th, 2016, I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.